Welcome to University Hill, located on the campus of the University of British Columbia in beautiful Vancouver. Each week, we gather on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. We worship, sing, pray, and engage with scripture as we seek to grow in faith and as followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast of scripture passages and sermons preached will bless your own faith journey. And of course, you're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning. Check out uhill.net for a Zoom link and more information. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The word of our Lord. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, come. We give you thanks and praise for the gift of your word, and we pray that you would help us to hear it well this morning. We pray that my words would be faithful to your word, and anything I say that isn't faithful, let it fall away. But if we hear your voice today, don't let us harden our hearts, but let us grow in love of you, and this world that you so love. Help us to know you better that we might make you better known. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight. We pray in the name of Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So for the past uh, two weeks, I've been coming back to this uh, kind of profound truth, I think, about what it means to be human and alive in the world that someone recently uh, laid out just very simply for me in a way that uh, made sense of something that should have been perfectly obvious, but he said this, says there's only intentional spiritual formation and unintentional spiritual formation. And I have decided that I'm gonna say that at least once every Sunday of Lent. (laughs) As as St. Peter says, it's not too much for me to remind you of these things. Um, Honestly, if by the end of Lent, uh, this phrase, there's only intentional spiritual formation and unintentional spiritual formation were kind of seared into our collective consciousness, I think that would be a great thing. As I I said a couple of weeks ago, it's been kind of wreaking holy havoc on my life uh, ever since I heard it. Uh, It started to change the way that I am in the world. 
Uh, like when I find myself kind of compulsively scrolling through social media, there's that little voice, also known as the Holy Spirit, I believe, <laughs> that's been reminding me that this is forming me spiritually somehow. You know, this is shaping who I am somehow. Whether by sucking away time that I, I, from things that would actually grow me in the likeness of Christ, I read recently that, that millennials, in which I squeak in there, uh, uh, given the stats now, are, will spend something like a decade of their life on their phones. Isn't that wild? A decade. So it just could be sucking away time. Or it could be implanting lies about who I am and how this world is and what's important. Or maybe in some more insidious, less obvious kind of way, this device, these images, this, this mindlessness is shaping me, right? Have I stopped scrolling Instagram? No, I have not. <laughs> I'm still moving this information from my head to my heart. That's the task of intentional spiritual formation. It's never really a problem of us having the right information. It's the capacity to do it, right? And I don't think that Instagram's inherently evil, probably. <laughs> but I am developing better rhythms with it. You know, I've spent, and I've spent more time in the last two weeks uh, doing things that are more spiritually profitable. So even if I'm the only one who listens to me for the next four weeks, I'm going to keep saying it <laughs> because I need the reminder, right? There's only intentional spiritual formation and unintentional spiritual formation. There is no neutrality when it comes to our spirits. We are profoundly interconnected. It's how we learn. It's how we grow. It's how we develop. It's how we become the people God created us to be or something else. As we grow in intention, we begin to see that what's actually holding sway over us, whether we mean it, mean to it, or mean it to or not. Right? It's, like, it's not like I pick up my phone and think to myself, I'd really like Mark Zuckerberg and the good people at Meta to have uh, more of my time and a bigger influence on my life with these addictive algorithms. <laughs> That's what's going to make me fully human, fully alive. But, you know, the fact that I have a hard time leaving the room without my phone with me <laughs> suggests it's got a pretty good grip on me, right? So I'm learning to, I'm learning to put it down and to leave it down. And I think that that's sometimes what's challenging about intentional spiritual formation. It's not just learning new information, uh, but sometimes we have to unlearn some things. We may have to overcome some habits. It may be that there are things in our lives that are so unintentionally ingrained in us that we've actually come to believe that they are truer than the truth. Like, I'll be beautiful if I just look like that, or I'll be lovable if I just do this, or I'll be successful if I can accomplish that. Or what's really important is to do what makes you happy. Just follow your heart. That's terrible advice. Don't do that. Or we get what we deserve. Nonsense. I heard both of these things on the radio this week. <laughs> humans are just animals, and humans are basically meat computers. Not true. But people believe it. And th this is kind of the low-hanging fruit of the stuff we've all been malnourished on. Right? And I bet as you grow in intention and attention through the lens of asking how things are shaping you, how is this practice, this rhythm, this relationship shaping me, then we'll begin to recognize other lies, probably ones that are much more personal. And I think part of the gift of Lent is that uh, it can be a season of intentionally unlearning. Right? As we make our way to the cross and to the resurrection goal of the whole thing, as we prepare to figure out what it means to live fully and freely in a world in which Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and ascended into, the, into heaven as a, on the throne of the universe and is even now making all things new. 
So that's what I was thinking about as I eavesdropped on St. Paul's conversation with the church at Rome this week. Um, and I want to think about a couple of things that, uh, that this amazing passage of Scripture invites us both to learn and, I think, to unlearn. So right off the top, Paul pulls us into unfamiliar territory. <laughs> he says this, he says, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace through God, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. Now, if you've been hanging around church for any length of time, that may not seem all that wild. But I think it's breathtaking if we can hear it again. We have peace with God. That's not a self-evident truth, is it? We have peace with God. It's not self-evident, but it is true. We are made for leisurely, mutually blessing relationship with the maker of heaven and earth. So that's pretty cool. But this is even cooler, I think. <laughs> it's not because we deserve it, but because God wants it that way. This is God's desire, the one who knows us more deeply than we know ourselves, who knows all the stuff we even keep hidden from everyone else, wants us, loves us, has given everything just to be at peace with us. We stand in God's grace, objects of God's peace, full stop, Paul says. All we have to do is receive and trust that truth. There's nothing we have to do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. It is that way because God wants it that way. And I think that's the sort of thing that takes a lifetime to learn. Maybe more. <laughs> but it also requires us to unlearn some stuff too, doesn't it? Because we don't live in a world that operates according to the rhythms of grace. We live in a world that operates according to the diabolical lie that we get what we deserve that we are what we earn. I mean, we may be nice, and we don't say that too loudly or too often, but I think probably most of us believe it on some level. It's a lie that gets its claws into us. Sometimes we don't even recognize it. I, I mean, one, one of the most valuable practices for developing a sense of God's grace is Sabbath keeping. I mean, the practice of not accomplishing anything of obvious value for a whole day every week. <laughs> Right? Doing nothing and knowing that God loves us anyways. But how many of us actually do that? I mean, I try, but it's so easy to fudge, right? Like, I, I could just get that one more email done. I could make that phone call. I could just finish up this little bit of work that overflowed from the rest of the week. I mean, why is it so hard to just stop and delight in God? I think for most of us, it's because deep down we believe what we've taught, which is that if we're not productive, we're not valuable. And even if we do manage to take a day off, which is not a Sabbath, a day off and a Sabbath are two different things. But even if we manage to take a day off, it's because we've earned it, right? We've worked hard enough and we deserve it, which is a wildly privileged thought. I mean, it'd be hard to say that the parent working three jobs to keep food on the table isn't working hard enough to get the day off that they can't afford to take. But anyway, Sabbath isn't about deserving. And it's certainly not a burden to be heaped on someone who's already weighed down. Sabbath is God's gracious gift to remind us that we are not slaves. Only slaves work all the time. Only slaves are valued with reference to their productivity. And we are not slaves. We are free. We are the objects of God's astonishing grace made to delight in God's goodness. 
We are objects of God's astonishing grace, made to delight in God's goodness. I think a goal for churches would be to be communities where we had systems in place that allowed for everybody to take a Sabbath. <laughs> I'll let those of you who understand money figure that out. But I think it's a good goal. Intentional spiritual formation in the way of Jesus invites us to learn grace, to understand in the deepest parts of ourselves that the God of the universe will cross heaven and earth just to be with us and to rescue us from the stuff that would diminish and destroy the life we're made for because that's what God wants. And do you know that? (laughs) Do you know that you, fully alive, are the glory of God? It's one of the church fathers said, the human being, fully alive, is the glory of God. And intentional spiritual formation invites us to unlearn self-justification, to refuse to equate our belovedness with our output, religious or otherwise. Right? Which is not to say we don't do anything. <laughs> we're, not, we don't, we're not allowed to stay home from work just because we're saved by grace. Uh, though if you ever try to use that excuse, I would, I'd love for you to record that conversation. <laughs> not coming in because I have the blessed, wonderful love of my blessed Redeemer deep down in the depths of my heart, right? <laughs> don't know that song? Come on. Uh, we don't stop caring for our families because God has justified us. We don't bother not to give of ourselves because Jesus has given himself for us. As Dallas Willard puts it, grace is opposed to earning, but not effort. Grace is opposed to earning, but not effort. The goal is to live from God's grace instead of trying to get into God's grace. God's grace in God's grace, we learn to live our whole lives pursuing the one who's already chased us down. We get to pour ourselves out because God's love is being poured into us through the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a great line that Paul uses? Which is going to put us at odds with the world sometimes. I mean, I think it's telling that most of the places that Paul went on his missionary journeys, there was a riot, and at some point someone tried to kill him. (laughs) And most of his letters are written from one prison cell or another. And it's that tension between the way of Jesus and the ways of the world that Paul is talking about when he calls us to to boast in our sufferings. It's not just general suffering. But this is a a second thing I think we need to learn. And as we do, it's important to know that Paul is not uh, telling us to develop a kind of victim uh, complex. He's not advocating for spiritual masochism. He's not assuming that bad things are just part of God's plan for our lives. Ours is the God who's determined to fill every belly and wipe away every tear and is even now making all things new by reconciling us in resurrection life. Paul knows that. But he also knows that walking in the way of Jesus, choosing intentional spiritual formation, being a beacon of divine love for the world will cause some problems because intentional spiritual formation requires us to grow in the fruit of the Spirit and love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and generosity and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, and those things are going to throw a wrench in the familiar machinery of the world as we know it, right? Which is going to cost us some stuff. It's going to be hard sometimes. But, Paul says, the more we do it, the more our endurance will increase. The more we swim upstream, the stronger we will get. For Paul, a good metric of his faithfulness seems to be how much trouble he's getting himself into, (laughs) Which is not that he's suggesting we go looking for trouble, but I do think he knows because it's happened to him a bunch of times in ways we probably will never experience, I hope. I mean, go read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. If you want to know what Paul's gotten into. 
But he knows it. He knows that when we live in step with the Spirit, that we're going to find ourselves going with the grain of the universe, but often against the grain of the world. Find ourselves going with the grain of the universe, but often against the grain of the world, which is why the history of the church is littered with martyrs. People who would rather die than forfeit a drop of the love that is being poured into them. I'm certainly glad that we don't live in a time and place where our lives are at risk for our faith. There are places in the world today that that's true. But the weird thing is that it's in those times and places of great challenge and persecution that the church flourishes. If you watch that video that I sent out this week, um, and if you're not on our mailing list, I can send it to you, <laughs> uh, by, the, by Alita Friesen, where she talked about how uh, grapevines need rocky soil. You can plant a grapevine in lush soil, and it'll do just fine, but all it'll do is produce really nice leaves. <laughs> if you want grapes, it's got to be in rocky soil. It seems to be true for the church, too. Right? Comfort is never very good for the church. And I think that's because in the midst of suffering, people have found a hope worth giving everything for. And the more they lean in, the more they're able to lean into it. And the more they lean into it, the more it becomes a core element of who they are. Endurance produces character, which pushes us even deeper into the love of God, which is a hope beyond measure. It's the hope of those who are learning to say, not my will, but yours. Not my kingdom, but yours. Come what may. Not because they are puppets in a divine show, but because they know that God's will is good and very good. In Jesus, we see that all the wrath in the world will not stop God getting what God wants, which is us fully alive. And I think that the world's wrath is what Paul is talking about here. In your Bible, if you're following along, you'll notice that in verse 9, there's a little note uh, that, that simply says that the Greek says, uh, we are rescued from the wrath, not from the wrath of God. It could go either way. I'm not bothered one way or another. But I, I am convinced that in Jesus, what we see is God ready to fight through all the wrath in the world that would destroy us, just to get to us, just to rescue us and this beloved world. So we can say, not my will, but yours. Because ours is the God who goes with us to the end and then through it. We know that because he went first. We can say, not my will but yours, when we've got Jesus in view. The writer of Hebrews puts it like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we've got millions of people who have recognized that the way of Jesus is the most beautiful, creative, life-giving way of life. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that so clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. So good. Listen, one more time. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Golly. That's how we learn to glory in our sufferings. And to do that, we have to unlearn the lie that our will and God's will is the same thing. I don't know about you, but I'm partial to that lie. I have a habit of assuming that God mostly wants what I want and mostly wants me to be happy. But the thing we learn as we embrace rhythms of intentional spiritual formation is that what God wants is abundantly far more than what we want. Right? And while God is not opposed to our happiness, God doesn't want happiness for us. God wants joy for us. Those two things are not the same. We know that. Happiness is fleeting and context-specific. It depends on what's going on around us. Happiness has to be pursued because it'll never stay put. Joy, though, is that deep confidence that ours is the God who invites us to abide into a love that is being poured into us into overflowing. Joy is what happens when we start to understand ourselves in this world, not through the newsreels or social media, not through the stock market or our political allegiances, not through our job titles or our relationship status, but through this fact that while we were enemies, Christ died for us. Before we thought to do anything, before we took a step towards the table, he died for us. The maker of heaven and earth gave everything so that we might be fully alive. And that's a truth worth everything. In the words of the old hymn, were the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. So to God, who by the power at work within us, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, is able to do abundantly far more in us and through us than all we would ask or imagine. To God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever and ever. Amen.